Well, how many of you ready to get into the Bible? Yeah? Yeah, well, would you turn in your Bibles over to, well, first of all, would you honor the worship team and just thank them? Thank you, guys. Love you, Russ, Kim, Rebecca, Zach, Z-Man. So Matthew, or I'm sorry, I said Romans, sorry, sorry. Sometimes I do that. Romans chapter 6, if you would turn there. And we're going to begin in verse 6. But I want to mention something to you because we're going to read a lot of Scripture today. And uh, because I feel like what God would say is so much more important than anything we could say. Scripture is so important. And so one thing I've noticed is that when people get saved... If a person gets saved and they don't know what their identity is, they don't know who they are in Christ, and then they start living as a Christian, if they have a problem with repetitive sin that they can't seem to get a grip on, then they either become disappointed, which leads to disillusionment, which can lead to abandoning the faith. We're seeing a lot of people we're seeing some people walk away from the faith. And, or they could come to a conclusion that as a Christian, I'm just always going to sin. And I think a lot of that is based on this little section of Scripture in Romans chapter 7. And we're going to look at that today. But my biggest goal today and what I really felt like God put on my heart was your identity, our identity in Him knowing who you are. A lot, of, a lot of movies are made about people that don't realize who they are and they turn out to be royalty or something. Well, I'm here to tell you, yeah, you're royalty. That's you. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy people, holy unto God. Amen? Well, that should excite some people. I should have probably got a little better response on that one. <laughs> So, but people who are like that, people like what I just described, many times will think, well, I have a sin problem. No, I don't. You don't have a sin problem. You just have an identity problem. You just need to learn who you are. So, let's look at Romans chapter 6. Um, I'm going to read to you out of a couple of translations. One is going to be the Passion translation. Uh, so, we'll get passionate in here. But the other one will be the New King James. And then I'm going to incorporate uh, Amplified so we can turn up the volume too. So, Romans 6, verse 6 says this. It says, could it be any clearer? Now, he's talking, this is Paul addressing Roman Christians. And he says this, he said, could it be any clearer that our former identity is now and forever deprived of its power? For we, are co, we were co-crucified with him to dismantle the stronghold of sin within us so that we would not continue to live one moment longer submitted to sin's power. In the Aramaic, that word identity means you're the old son of Abraham, or Adam, I mean. <clears throat> Adam, the first Adam. Jesus is the last Adam, not the second. He's the final Adam. Let me read that same verse to you out of the Amplified. It says this, we know that our old self, our human nature without the Holy Spirit, that's key, was nailed to the cross with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. So this is the good news, the gospel I want to bring you today. 
is that we no longer have to be slaves to sin. You're welcome, Gary. I get one amen on that. All right, so Romans chapter 7. Now, uh, let's look at verse 1 of Romans chapter 7. I told you we would read quite a bit of scripture today. But keep in mind and remember, and, I, and I'm sure you do, but this is just a friendly reminder that when Paul wrote this letter to the Romans, it was one consistent flow. He was not, it wasn't broken up into chapters and verses. And so it's important that we, you know, that we keep it all together so we don't lose context of what he's saying, okay? So Romans 7, look at verse 1. It says, I'm going to read out of the New King James Version. It says, the law has dominion over man as long as he lives. For the woman who, is, who has a husband is bound by law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. I think it's important to note that God only ever mentions a man and a woman in Scripture. I just want to point that out. Verse 3, so then if while her husband lives, also this is talking about one husband, one wife, a godly marriage where it's to death do we part, two people that understand covenant, right? So this is what he's referring to, That's, that example's important as well. So then if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she would be called a prostitute. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law so that she is no adulteress, though she marries another man. Now look at verse four. It says, therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. Look at verse five. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law we're at work in our members to bear fruit to death. But now, everybody say, but now. We have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by so that we should serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. So we've been set free from legalism. We're not called to live in legalism. We're called to live in newness of the spirit. That God puts a new heart inside you. It's no longer this old calloused heart, but it's a heart of flesh that's tender, that's easily moved by God. Yes. We, were, uh, we were given a quarter horse when I was a little guy. I think I was maybe eight years old. What was I, eight years old, Mom? And, uh, and this quarter horse, though, was so well-trained that when you got on her and you put the reins on her, and she just felt the slight movement you know, of your hand staring her in a direction, she would start going and walking in that direction. It was a well-trained horse. That's, you know, that heart that God puts in us, that's, that's what that becomes. We become, it becomes a well-trained heart, a heart that's sensitive to Him. Amen? Yeah, so verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would have not known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, you shall not covet. Now, that was in the New King James. Let me read that to you out of the Passion Translation. Masha, I'm glad you're running things back there today. I'm sorry. <laughs> she said, sometimes I'm hard to follow. And she's not wrong. You are not wrong. 
the Passion Translation, verse 7. It was the law that gave us a clear definition of what sin is. We wouldn't have known sin if it hadn't have been for the law. Because here's the deal. Without a clear definition of what's right and what's wrong, there is no truth. You have no truth. If you don't have both of those, you don't have any truth. And what did Jesus say? He said, I am the way the... Jesus is the truth. And so that's why God so eloquently in the Bible and in Scripture defines and clearly states for us what is right and what is wrong. All right, verse 8, chapter 7. But it was through God's commandment that sin was awakened in me and built up a base for operations within me to stir up every kind of wrong desire. For in the absence of the law, sin hides dormant. This is a really interesting scripture. And here's why, because we have a lot of people today that accuse people that have a clear definition of right and wrong of legalism because if they can accuse you of legalism and get you to pull back, then sin hides dormant. And I can do what I want. A big part of the gay, lesbian, transgender, um, uh, of their whole mantra is that they, they want hate speech to become a law. Why? So that you can't say anything against it. Why? So that sin can lie dormant. Because what happens when things get pointed out in our life? Conviction from the Holy Spirit has an opportunity to come. Man, this is the importance of being connected to a body. Every part of the body needs one another. We supply to one another. Sometimes we supply conviction where there needs to be conviction. Do you know what happens for me sometimes when I see this guy, Jacob, who's running camera today, worshiping God down front here? I see a passionate guy who is in love with Jesus, and he wants to display his love for him. And do you know what it does for me? It inspires me to draw closer. So there's, the, there's an amazing side that we benefit from one another, iron sharpening iron, right? Right? But then there's also the other side of the conviction of the Holy Spirit that comes over a person that's living right. Because whenever, whenever you're going through something, sometimes we don't need to hang out with people with like spirits. They're going through the same thing you are. Why? Because sometimes that iron can't sharpen the other iron. What we need is something that will take our faith higher. My wife and I were talking about our, our pastor growing up. He and his wife were, um, they had four children. And we were thinking about our marriage and we were going to be having kids. Eventually, we took the first two years to just kind of get to know each other before we got pregnant with Rebecca. And man, when we made that decision, it was like, boom, she was pregnant. I was like, can we just ease into something? But didn't. Didn't happen, but we're thankful, and uh, it was good. Um, but, uh, but I remember, you know, when we were first getting married, and we were thinking about our lives. We, were, we wanted to have vision for our family. We wanted to have vision for our marriage. And we were thinking about our lives, and we were thinking about God. Um, 
we want, we want to believe you for better than what, I don't want to base what I believe you for on the experience of the people around me that I've seen that have had difficult times with their kids and they, they've walked through this and this and, 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 and I, I, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to make that sound. Eh. Yeah, we just, we wanted to believe God for our family. We didn't want to compare it with anybody else's family. That's a better way to say that. And so we began to believe God. And I remember my pastor preached a message and he preached a message on a common statement that Jesus made to, to several people. He said, according to, your, according to your faith, be it done unto you. And when we found out that we could believe God for specific things, especially regarding our kids that I saw in my pastor's Four children that didn't step away from God, that stayed plugged into the church. They stayed plugged into a relationship with God. And when I saw that, I said, God, I want to believe God. I want to believe you for that, for better than what people, you know, the people that say, well, you know, they got to sow some wild oats. I, I didn't agree with that. I said, why? Why? Why do they have to sow wild oats? And so what God did was it, it caused our faith to go to another level. And instead of basing it on people's experience, we began to believe God for more. And I'm pleased to say I'm so thankful that by the grace of God and, and many, many other pieces of help, you know, God helped us raise our kids so that they are still in love with Jesus. And so I'm just here to tell you it can be done. I'm not, I'm not here to boast in what we did. I'm here to boast in what God did because it's all, it's all according to how you believe him. Amen? Wow, I kind of got off on some stuff. So I want to get to this scripture, though, that has caused some Christians to decide, hey, I, you know, it's impossible for me to not sin, so it's just going to happen. You know, and so I want to read these scriptures to you because this is kind of where some people seem to put the blame, I guess you could say, on Romans chapter 7. Let's read these verses. Verse 14, Romans 7. I'm going to start in the New King James Version, and then we'll migrate over to the Passion. In verse 14, it says, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am, I am carnal, sold under sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice, but what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. Now, let's read verse 17 out of the Passion Translation. It says this, And now I realize that it is, it is no longer my true self. Pay attention to that phrase. It is no longer my true self doing it, but the unwelcome intruder of sin in my humanity. For I know that nothing good lives within the flesh of my fallen humanity, the longings to do what is right are within me, but willpower is not enough to accomplish it. I mean, let's face it, if willpower was enough, we would have lost that weight that we wanted to lose already. If willpower was enough, we could live free without sin, from sin without needing the Holy Spirit to help us. We could do it on our own. Okay. So verse 20, so if my behavior contradicts my desires to do good, I must conclude that it's not my true identity doing it. 
but it is the unwelcome intruder of sin hindering me from being who I really am. Now listen, verse 21. Though my experience of this principle, sorry, through my experience of this principle, I discover that even when I want to do good, evil is ready to sabotage me. Truly deep within my true identity, I do love what pleases God, but I discern another power operating in my humanity, waging a war against the moral principles of my conscience and bringing me into captivity as a prisoner to the law of sin, this unwelcome intruder in my humanity. Now, the New King James Version in verse 24 says this, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me? from this body of death. So if you were to read that whole section right there and stop right there, I could see where you would come to the conclusion that I'm gonna sin no matter what. I'm flesh. Well, keep reading, okay? Keep reading. So verse 24 was, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Sorry, Masha, passion translation. (laughs) She's like, (laughs) yeah (sighs) shouldn't have talked about talked about me the other Sunday no I'm teasing it's not payback Um, but some people say I can't do it you're right he did it for you okay so oh wretched man that I am Who will deliver me from this body of death? Verse 25, Passion Translation. I give all my thanks to God for his mighty power has finally provided a way out through our Lord Jesus, the anointed one. Oh, thank God. So if left left to myself, the flesh is aligned with the law of sin, but now my renewed mind is fixed on and submitted to God's righteous principle. Romans 8.1, New King James, for there is now, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are what? In Jesus. Where are they? In Jesus. Really? The price that he paid, think about this. The price that he paid didn't just gain you and I forgiveness of sins. It empowered us to live free from sin. Man, Pastor Phil, that was good. Right there, that was. I, man, I know, I'm serious. When I saw, when I was studying, I just went, oh, thank you, God. Because what do we put the emphasis on? My sins are forgiven, I get to go to heaven. We don't put very much emphasis on the fact that I can live free from sin. Well, how's that going to happen? Keep reading. Okay. Are we going to read this whole chapter? Maybe. Yeah. Well, we already are in eight, so. All right. Three. uh, Verse three, B part. God sent his son in human form to identify with human weakness, clothed with humanity. God's son gave his body to be the sin offering so that God could once and for all condemn the guilt of power of the, and power of sin. So now, every righteous requirement of the law can be fulfilled through the anointed one living his life in us. 
Every righteous requirement of the law is fulfilled in the anointed one, Jesus, living in you and I. How does he live in there? The Holy Spirit. And we are free to live not according to the flesh, but by the dynamic power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 8 says this, sorry, New King James Version. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Then verse 9, but you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. So then, beloved, beloved ones, in verse 12, the flesh has no claims on us at all. And we have no further obligation to live in obedience to it. Man, God didn't, in, he never intended for you and I to live in a state of constant repenting. Oh, just First John 1, 9 it. You may want to get another plan. Well, what's the plan, Phil? Well, here's your options. When Jesus breathed on the disciples, he said, receive the Holy Spirit. He breathed on them. He said, receive the Holy Spirit. At that moment, they were born again. Jesus has finished the work. Death, burial, resurrection. Boom. They get born again. And, and, And with that, the Holy Spirit comes to live in you. The Holy Spirit living in, the Holy Spirit in me is for me right? But then what did Jesus say? He said, now I want you to go and wait in Jerusalem. See, because today is what Sunday? Pentecost Pentecost Sunday. That should have been like a unanimous, it's Pentecost Sunday, you know? I missed it one year and anyway, okay, we won't go there. But Pentecost, this is Pentecost Sunday. So Pentecost Sunday happens 50 days, right, after Passover, and it was actually originally the feast of uh, uh, the, the festival of feasts. And so they celebrated the harvest. But when this happened in Jerusalem, when the Holy Spirit came, then, you know, it's more now well known for the Holy Spirit coming. So now Jesus says, go there and wait. So here comes the Holy Spirit. What did he say about that moment? He says in Acts chapter one, verse eight, he says, but you shall receive what? Power. You shall receive power when? When the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Jesus is baptized. He comes up out of the water. The Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove. Then what happens after that? Suddenly miracles start happening. Because the Holy Spirit is the power. Every time you see power um, in the Bible on display... The Spirit of God is a part of that. The Holy Spirit is all throughout the Bible in power. Power for what? Now, it talks about going and being, being witnesses, but what is that power for? Two, the power on the inside of you by the Holy Spirit is to convict your heart and to help you to not sin. So that you and I 
could live sin-free, not by our own willpower. We've proven how that works. How well did that work for you? Yeah, yeah, didn't work at all. But with the Holy Spirit, he leads, guides, directs, teaches, he reveals, he empowers. There's so many things that the Holy Spirit does for us, but this is why he came. Jesus said, listen, guys, it's beneficial for you that I go away. I need to go away. Why? Because you want the Holy Spirit to come. I'm a man in a human body, and I've come to die. My job was to die, to be buried, to raise again, and pay the price for you so that you could not only be born again, but you could receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There are several different baptisms in the Bible, but I'm just going to focus on two today. We're going to water baptize some folks here in just a moment. But the other one is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Oh. So I got a call. I shared this on, uh, at midweek, um, which, by the way, midweek, we're going through Michael Culliano's book, The Jesus Book. If you've not read this, oh my word, and we're talking about all the different characteristics of Jesus and having a discussion about it midweek. Um, But I shared this story that I got to call it three in the morning. Who calls it three in the morning? And I woke up, answered the phone, and I'm just in a daze. And this guy on the other end of the phone says, Pastor Phil, Pastor Phil, I, I was just at a convenience store and I got a knife pulled on me. I'm just trying to wake up. And I said, what? what do you mean you got a knife pulled on you? Are you okay? He goes, yeah, I took the knife away from him. I said, well, did you get cut or slashed or anything? He said, no, 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 I didn't, I didn't even get hurt. And finally, my mind kicks in. I said, what are you doing at the convenience store at three in the morning? I mean, are you coming back from a trip? No, no, I'm just down the street from my house. Why are you there? Well, I needed a cigarette three in the morning. So you couldn't wait three hours, get a cigarette. I said, I, I mean, I'm just going to step out here and, and take a gamble, but I don't think the Holy Spirit told you to go to the convenience store at three in the morning. What do you think? And he goes, no, I'm thinking he didn't. He said, I, I didn't even, I didn't even think about that. I said, well, but this is what some people do. See, we, we make decisions and, and venture out into things and think, well, the, well God's going to protect me. No, he's there to lead you, to guide you. He is, the word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It's my responsibility to align my life with what he said to do. First in his word. When I align myself to his word, there's blessing there already. But then when he speaks additional things to me, I recognize his voice because I've already been following his word. But we need the Holy Spirit to be able to follow him. So here's what I want to do this morning. Oh, he loves you. Let me, let me read Ezekiel first and then, and then we'll do this. I, I referred to the scripture a moment ago. It's a chapter 36, verse 26. It's, this is God talking. He's speaking through Ezekiel about when he brings Israel back to their homeland. 
after they had been um, taken captive by the Babylonians. And God says this in verse 26, he says, and I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you and I will take your stony heart and stubborn heart and give you a tender responsive heart and I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. Listen to that part. That's what I wanted to focus on. He said, I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. We've already proven we can't do it by willpower, but here God is saying, you can do it by my spirit. But we need his spirit. 